this morning, Janet and I began uh, just serving in a rotation, uh, serving the BYG age young people uh, over at the youth center in their life group just to give Chelsea and uh, the rest a, a, little, a little break. And it's already been a blessing, can I tell you that? Um, I'm not going to tell you who said these things, but I just want you to know some of the things they said. The question was this, if you were God and you could create the world in a different way, if there's something different you could do, what would you do different? Listen to what they said. One of them was particularly cold, and she said, I would make it warmer. <laughs> um, then we also all agreed that we would have no fire ants or mosquitoes. Um, there would be less violence. I thought that was a good one. No tornadoes or earthquakes. No cloudy days. No sunburns. No death. Or struggle with death. No sickness or diseases. No school. <laughs> and after no school, there would also be no college. Amen. You'd already be smart enough to make it. Uh, and as a result of no school and no college, there would also be no work. Amen. Um, and as a result of no work, everyone would have to be rich. Right? And if you're rich, then, of course, you want to make sure that there are no taxes. Amen. Um, and then finally, well, the ladies agreed that uh, there would be no more getting ready for whatever. Uh, and then the biggest one and the, probably the most enlightening was... Um, There'd be plenty of cheeseburgers for everyone. <laughs> so anyway, we are off to a great start with the uh, BYG Life Group, and I'm excited that we get the, the privilege of uh, introducing them to God. Um, we are not introducing them to Allah. We're not introducing them to Buddha. We're not introducing them to some supreme being. We're not introducing them to the man upstairs. We're introducing them to the God of the Bible. And uh, we agreed that if you don't believe in the God of Genesis chapter 1, then how in the world are you going to believe the rest of the Bible? Amen? If you don't believe in the beginning God, then how are you going to believe the rest of the Bible? It's probably something we all need to learn. Amen? Uh, so what a great blessing it's going to be. Now, on to your message today. So far in our um, Facing the Giant series, we have learned how to defeat our discouragement. We have learned how to lift our loneliness. We've learned how to win against worry. We've also learned to target our temptation. But today we are going to attack our anger. Attack our anger. I read about a little boy who was sitting sadly on a curb beside his lawnmower. When along came a minister who was riding a bicycle. The minister noticed that the boy appeared very discouraged, and so he tried to help the little fellow. He said, hey, little fellow, would you like to trade your lawnmower for my bicycle? And the boy said, yes, sir, and off he went on the bicycle. Well, just a few days later, the minister ran into the boy again, and he said, son, I think you kind of took me on our trade. Uh, I have tried over and over again to crank this lawnmower, but it won't start. And the boy told him, you got to cuss it. You got to cuss it. And the minister said, I can't do that. I'm a preacher. I gave up cussing a long time ago. And the boy said, you just keep on cranking, preacher. It'll come back to you. 
Anybody that has scrambled trying to start a lawnmower can identify with that. Amen? The world we live in can be a very angry place. According to the Federal Bureau of an... Is that cool or what? I forgot that was on there. That's the, that's the Hulk right there, and he only turns green when he gets mad, amen? According to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, a murder occurs every 36.9 minutes in the United States. In 2014 alone, the FBI reported that 14,249 people were murdered in our nation. Of all those murders committed in 2014, a staggering 40% were committed as the result of an argument. 40%. And many of those arguments were between husbands and wives. Imagine that, right? But as a result, statistics report that 99 husbands were murdered in 2014. I heard those giggles, but listen to this. 539 wives were murdered in 2014. Scary, scary statistics. But anger can manifest itself in a variety of many different ways. Think about it. You got road rage, parking rage, air rage, boat rage, fishing rage, ri river rage, pedestrian rage, jogger rage, biker rage, trucker rage, cell phone rage, shopping rage, grocery cart rage, and also checkout line rage. And I've also heard it reported that there is pew rage, although I've yet to see any of that, praise the Lord. What makes anger so subtle and so very, very dangerous is that it flares up suddenly. It flares up powerfully, and it flares up sometimes totally irrationally. People just fly off the handle. Anger fails to consider the future. Anger fails to consider personal safety, even one's own. It just flies irrationally off the handle. Now, if anger had a long fuse, it'd be okay. But most of the time, anger comes with a short fuse. And if somebody who has a short fuse gets behind the wheel of a car traveling 70 miles an hour or is in with, within reach of a handgun or has a smart mouth, then anger can be a very harmful thing. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 8, you will find that anger is as old as sin itself. Just ask Cain, who murdered his brother in a fit of jealous anger. There are people 
who spend their entire adult lives angry. But listen to what I heard in a quote. It said that anger is the acid that harms the vessel in which it is stored even more than the person on whom it is poured. You hear that? Anger is the acid that is harming the vessel that it is stored even more than the person on whom it is poured. That means it harms the angry person more than the person you're angry with. Today, we're going to be talking about anger. If you struggle with anger continually, and some people do, or if you struggle with anger that comes on suddenly, I want you to know that the Bible gives great wisdom for you. I'm going to talk about the first of two tidbits of wisdom that the Bible gives to us about anger and about how we, as believers, can attack anger. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And we have just two short verses today. In Ephesians chapter, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Everybody with me? Be angry. Say that with me. Be angry, really? And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, today I've only got one point for you, and you know what that means. Nothing. But the first point that I want to share with you today is that we need to recognize, get this, sinless anger. Sinless anger. Now, as I'm reading verse 26 there, I'm wondering, did I really read the Bible right? In the first part there, did he really say, be angry? Is he really instructing me to be angry? I mean, with all the damage that anger causes, with all of the uh, understanding that anger is a product of sin, why in the world would Paul tell you and me to be angry? Especially when he says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. And yet there in verse 26 he says, be angry. Now, everywhere I've read, the Bible clearly forbids acting out our anger. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus said this about anger. Listen carefully. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Jesus is equating anger with murder. I think he's pretty serious there. But then, uh, when Paul wrote to the Galatian believers, he also included temper tantrums in his description 
of works of the flesh. Listen to what he says. In chapter 5, verse 19, Paul writes to these believers, like me and you, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, and get this, outbursts of wrath, temper tantrums. So he's equating temper tantrums with adultery. Temper tantrums with uh, idolatry and sorcery. It's just as bad in his mind. So uh, works of the flesh, again, acting out anger is totally contrary to what the scriptures say. Verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 11 of Proverbs says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. James chapter 1, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, same ma, different pa. Amen? Y'all got that? Same mother, different father. In verse 19, James adds, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Psalm 37, 8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Why? Because it only causes harm. Why then, with all these uh, verses that forbid acting out our anger, why then does Paul in Ephesians 4.26 tell you and I to be angry? Well, he must be talking about a different kind of anger than what I know. Amen? He must be talking about some kind of positive anger or some kind of sinless anger. I need to know more about that because there are times that I get angry. Amen? So I need to find out if I'm acting in sinful anger or if I'm acting in sinless anger. How do I know the difference? Well, as always, we always look at the perfect model of Jesus Christ and we'll see that in that model of the Lord Jesus, we'll see that it is possible, friend. It is possible to use anger in a positive way. It is possible for anger to occur without sinning. But there's one thing you better be careful of. You better be careful that you're not just venting your anger thinking that you're perfect like Jesus. Because none of us are perfect, right? None of us are righteous, not even one. So we need to make sure that we are alongside Jesus Christ when we uh, weigh this out. In John chapter 2, we see this perfect model uh, illustrated for us. In John chapter 2, in verse 13... The Bible reads from the Gospel of John in verse 13, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple. Now what people do in the temple? They did what? They worshipped. Worshipped who? God. Alright? He found in the temple where people worship God, those who sold oxen and sheep, and doves and the money changers doing business. When he made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple where people came to worship God. 
with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the changers' money and he overturned the tables and he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, obviously Jesus was mad. Amen? Uh, no, he wasn't mad. Uh, he was a little bit irritated. Amen? No, he wasn't irritated. He wasn't mad. He wasn't just angry. Jesus was absolutely infuriated. He was infuriated. Why? Why was Jesus so mad about what was occurring in the place where people came to worship God? Well, for number one, the merchants that were there selling oxen and lambs and doves and other animals for the sacrifices, get this, were in cahoots with the preachers. They were in cahoots with the priests. People had brought their very best animals to Jerusalem for this Passover feast only to have the priests point out and say, your animals ain't good enough. Your animals ain't good enough for the sacrifice, but I know a place where you can purchase acceptable animals. If you go down the court here, not the first merchant, but the next one, if you go to him, he'll sell you an acceptable animal that will be fitting for the sacrifice. Now, it, uh, it'll be acceptable and it may be a little expensive, but he'll take care of you on there. You just, make, you just use my name. And he'll sell you an animal. People were coming from all over the world to worship God. And when they arrived, they had to deal with extortion. Not only were the merchants in cahoots with the priests, but these money changers that were described there in John 2 uh, were also extorting worshipers by causing, by charging uh, exorbitant, outrageous uh, rates to exchange money into temple currency so that they could make an offering. Again, people call, coming from all over the world to worship God, to bless God. But when they arrived, they found that they were constantly being cheated. I liken this to uh, a recent experience that Janet and I had as we drove down to Birmingham to watch Madison cheerlead, uh, but also watch Lauderdale County uh, en route to their fifth straight state championship in girls basketball. After a pleasant drive to Birmingham, we get to Legacy Arena, to the Coliseum, and we take our seat, and as is always the case, I was immediately struck with hunger pains. <laughs> Amen. So what do I do? I head to the concession stand where I stand there with my jaw dropped open looking at the menu, staring at $8 chicken fingers, $3 M&Ms, $4 bottles of water, $10 hamburgers, and $6 pizza slices. I felt like I was at the Passover feast, amen? But what was I going to do? I had already traveled all that way. What was I going to do, leave? Why, no. I was going to stick it out. 
I was going to stay there and I was going to pay those inflated prices. But I'm still not over my righteous anger, amen? But if all that wasn't bad enough, there was even more going on at God's house that made Jesus' blood boil. Let me tell you about it. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, including Gentiles. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, including those people that weren't Jews, including people that weren't religious. But these merchants had their little barnyards set up these merchants had all their supplies, had all their baggage, and had all their animals set up in the only place that the Gentiles, those that weren't Jews, could worship. It was called the court of the Gentiles. And it was so cluttered up with all their mess, and I mean that literally, amen, because I imagine those animals was making a mess, so cluttered up that the people who weren't Jews could not even worship at the temple. All of these things were going on at the house of God to people that had traveled great distances to worship and honor the one and only true God and the people who should have known better had turned the temple into a Walmart. You ever been to the Walmart? You seen some of the pictures of people at Walmart? Get that out of your mind, Amen. Needless to say, Jesus was rightfully angry. But I had a question for myself, and I asked, what was it that made Jesus' anger right where my anger is wrong? And after careful study, I concluded that you have to look at the object of his wrath. You have to look at what he was really angry about. Because you never find in the Bible where Jesus is angry at injustices that are going on about him. Think about it. I was at the state championship and I got offended and angry because the, the food was too expensive. But Jesus even when he was being hauled off to Herod's temple to face a, a court, if you will, even when he was being hauled off to Pontius Pilate to receive his condemnation, even when Jesus is being beaten, mocked, spat upon, even when Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he never got angry. He never was angry. His anger instead was directed at the injustices that were being directed to people. He was angry about the injustices that were being directed to his heavenly father. His anger was not about self. Jesus' anger was all about God. How often can you say 
that your anger is not about self. I remember asking the kids on a Wednesday night, why do we get angry? And it was almost like a heavenly choir as they spoke up together. They said, we don't get our way. That's why we get angry. And it's not just kids either. When I get angry because somebody's in the left lane, is it because they're in the left lane or is it because I want to pass them? It's because I want to pass them. My anger is almost always about self. I'm afraid we have plenty of anger about our own issues, but if you stop to think about it, we have very little anger about things that concern God and the things that he's concerned with. Let me give you a couple examples. How much emotion do you feel for homeless and starving children? Get pretty mad, do you? You throw a temper tantrum when you see starving and homeless kids? How angry do you get about Christians who are being persecuted, even executed in other countries? Does that get you really mad? Does that really stir you up? Do you really get angry about that? How upset do you get at people dying day in and day out without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save them from hell? Does that make you really mad? Does that really get under your skin? Does that really make you want to throw a temper tantrum? No, it don't make us mad. Yeah, we might have that sinking feeling for a moment. But we don't get mad at the things that God gets mad at. We don't get upset at the things that God gets upset about. We get angry and upset at things that involve self. But righteous anger, sinless anger, is never about me. Righteous anger is never about ourselves. In fact, it usually forgets self altogether. There's another example in the Bible that sheds really good light on the anger of Jesus. And it's found in Mark chapter 3. Just a short narrative. In Mark chapter 3 verse 1, uh, we find Jesus entering the synagogue. What happened in the synagogue? Anybody know? Do what? Worship who? Worship God in the synagogue. He entered the place where people worship God again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. And so the Pharisees in the synagogue watched Jesus real close. Whether he would heal that man on the Sabbath day so they might point their finger and, and accuse him. 
And Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, those Pharisees, and asked them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them, get this, with anger. With anger being grieved by the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored just like the other one. And then the Pharisees went immediately and began plotting with the Herodians against Jesus how they might destroy him. So there's a man with a withered hand who's been brought before Jesus and Jesus felt immediate compassion for the man and healed him on the spot. But the problem was is that Jesus intentionally healed him on the Sabbath day which was a technical violation of the traditions of those Pharisees. And when those Pharisees called him on it, Verse 5 says that in no uncertain terms, Jesus was angry. He was angry being grieved by the hardness of their heart. What does that mean? Jesus was so frustrated with them because they were so hard-hearted, they just didn't get what the Sabbath was all about. They didn't understand that the Sabbath was a day of compassion, a day of resting in the Lord. They didn't comprehend that it was a, a day of compassion and deliverance, and that overrides the fine print of the law. They wouldn't listen to Jesus as he told them, hey, buddy, I'm the author of the Sabbath. I'm the God of the Sabbath. And so Jesus was angry, righteously angry. I read a quote from the ancient philosopher Aristotle. Listen to what he said. Aristotle said, a man who is angry on the right grounds, against the right persons, in the right manner, at the right moment, for the right length of time, deserves great praise. When you look at the anger of Jesus, he gave a human face to every clause in that statement. Anytime that Jesus was angry, it was always on the right grounds, toward the right persons, in the right manner, in the right amount, and for the right length of time. And friend, Jesus deserves great praise for that. There is such thing as sinless, righteous anger. But be careful if you think you got it. 
Be very careful if you think you have a sinless, righteous anger because it's got to be approached with care. You've got to look deep in your heart of hearts before claiming to have righteous, sinless anger like Jesus. Because the right kind of anger is very admirable. But the wrong kind of anger, according to the Bible, is an abomination toward God. Psalm 103. David, a man after God's own heart, gives a, a real pretty and a real pretty literary description of God's anger and I want to share that with you in closing. Listen carefully. He writes in Psalm 103, The Lord is merciful and gracious and praise Him for this. He is slow to anger. If I was looking at me and I was God, I would not be slow to anger. I'd be getting a whooping every day. Amen. But he's merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always accuse us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Did you hear that? He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. You need to know that Jesus deals with our sins according to our belief in Jesus Christ. That's how, Jesus, that's how God handles your sin now. It's through belief in Jesus Christ. As far as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy, get this, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. As the father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him to such as keep his covenant. What is the covenant we need to keep? Belief and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant. To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Friend, you can be angry if you want to. But if it's not righteous, sinless anger like Jesus, then guess what? It's sin. If it can't be classified as honoring God or honoring those things that he is concerned about, then it is sin. And it needs to be confessed and we need to ask forgiveness for that, that anger. Now I know that there have been times in our life where every person in this room has been angry. And we think, well, that's just what I got in me. I'm going to be angry. But just like any other sin, it's something that we need to attack and remove from our Christian lives. Unless you're angry about the right thing. Let's pray.